0: the bible teaches us that there is a blessing that comes with temptation that may sound funny but the blessing is this when you endure through temptation when you take the way of escape you are blessed remember it's not a sin to be tempted it's what you do with the temptation that really matters and what you do with it is to take the way of escape and to ask god for help and you will be blessed and you will become stronger james will explore more about how to deal with temptation, not to make excuses, but to do things God's way. We'll look at that today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Don't pray for trials, okay? But inevitably, they're going to come your way. And so when they come, the question is, how can you and I handle them better? They are going to come. You can take it to the bank. So what should you do when they come? How can you, in fact, experience a blessing when there's fire on your head, when things are tough, when life is hard? How can we consider it all joy? As we did the first message in this uh, study in the book of James, I said we need to really reassess or recalculate how we think of trials. Instead of thinking trials, of trials so negatively, we need to take a biblical worldview on trials. Not that we rejoice in the actual thing that's happening to us, but we rejoice at the opportunity that they bring. And so we might say something like this, Lord, I don't like what's happening to me. Or I don't like what's happening to my loved one right now. But I know that you can take this trial and use it in my life to grow me deeper, to teach me perseverance, to let me comfort others with the comfort with which I'm comforted by God. So give me wisdom. And the next section is what uh, James says to do next. He says, look, verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. When you are going through a trial, it's a unique opportunity to seek God's wisdom. And God, verse 5, will give to you. He gives to all men generously. God is generous. He won't reproach you if you ask him, and you'll get the wisdom that you need. There is a qualifier, though, and many of you have read this before, that when you ask God, you need to ask in faith. And James says, when you ask God, you can't be a double-minded or double-souled, literally, person who blows with the wind. And you haven't even decided if you want to be a Christian. You're you're literally a fence-sitter, and you blow with the wind. And James says, if you're that kind of person, don't expect that you'll receive anything from the Lord. And the context is wisdom Because you're not really looking for wisdom as it relates to the kingdom of God. You're probably looking more for a way out or God to be your emergency button in the tough time, and then you'll say, see you later, God, once he fixes it. That's not what God wants. God actually wants the wisdom that you ask for to be biblical wisdom that you go deeper in your roots with God. He wants it to be relational, not just emergency prayers, and then see you later, God, because then you're a double-minded person. You haven't decided who you're going to follow. And I would imagine that this group of early believers, the early Christians were Jewish. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people came to the Lord. They were Some of them were probably tempted to give up. Some of them were probably saying, look, life would be much easier if I never made a public confession of faith in Jesus as Messiah. And there are people in other cultures today that could say the same my life would be probably smoother with my family, my circumstances, my business, my ability to make money had I not made a profession of faith in Christ. In the United States, it's a little different. But in some countries, to make a profession of faith, you risk everything. And it really tests if you really want to follow Christ, if you really want to serve Him as your King and your Lord. So here we have now this idea of wisdom. Living out what we know about God, his word, his will, and his ways. Some people have said the book of James is the New Testament book of Proverbs. James is really saying, if you want to be wise, wisdom has been defined as the application of what? Knowledge. Wisdom is to know God, his will, and his ways, and do it. That's what James is about. So James says, if you want that kind of wisdom, if you actually want to know how you can go deeper with God to live out your faith, to be a doer of the word, and not merely a hearer who deludes yourself, then tune in and God will give it to you and he'll be generous. He'll pour out the wisdom that you need in your circumstances. James gives an example. He says, verse nine, but let the brother of humble circumstances, that would be considered a poor person, the lowly brother, ESV, believers who are poor, New Living Translation, glory in his high position. James 2.5, flip over there for a second. James 2.5 says, listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith? two: five and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him. James addresses this poor group of people and he says, look c- going back to the earlier verses verse four especially or verse uh, excuse me two and two through four considering it all joy now he addresses a specific case the brother of humble circumstances verse 9, the lowly brother. The, the poor person, which probably was the bulk of these believers. And some of them may have been wealthy and lost their land, as the book of Hebrews talks about, their estates, their wealth, because of their decision to follow Christ. So they may have gone from rich to poor. And when you are poor, you're in a tough spot, just trying to scrap for a daily meal, just trying to pay the next bill. Uh, many of you can relate to that. And, and, and of course, you know, in America, we're even if we're not doing great, if we have change in a jar somewhere, if we have money somewhere in the bank, we're in the top 5% of worldly wealth in the entire world. If you have change in, a, in something, you have a little piggy bank, you have some money somewhere, you're in the top 5% of worldly wealth. So I think for Americans, it may be even harder for us to understand the daily plight. Some of you may understand this more than others, but here's what James is saying. He's saying, look, if you're poor, glory, end of verse nine, in your high position, God honors the poor because they are in a unique position. Think of the context and the flow of the verses to depend upon God because they're the poor are really in a daily trial. Amen. They don't know where the next meal's coming from. So they're especially in a position call it in a daily test to trust God for their daily bread. The poor man is actually in an exalted position in the upside-down kingdom, in the paradoxical world of the Bible, if you will, because now the poor man has to rely upon God for his daily sustenance. Every day he's training. So you may have met someone over the years who has learned to rely upon God for every little thing that you don't necessarily have to, and they're probably one of the more mature believers you're ever going to meet because they have learned to trust God. And a lot of us who are Americans, I'm not putting us down, we're in a very privileged position, but we don't have to trust God. We can get in our car and go to Del Taco. We can, we can think about where do we wanna eat? What are we gonna wear? Do you wanna go shopping tonight? We're not in that position necessarily to pray for our next meal with nothing in the cupboard, but the poor man is. And so James, remember, he's coming at it from a different perspective than the world is saying, hey, Rejoice in that, because that puts you in a unique position to rely upon God and to go deeper with Him. So consider that all joy. I know it's not the way we normally think. In Luke 6, 20 and 21, Jesus said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. And so many times in the Bible, God talks about his heart for the poor, to leave the edges of the field for the poor, to make sure that you're taking care of the orphan and the widow, because that's God's heart. And when we do things like that, when we help Royal Family Kids Camp, when we, some of you have adopted children, and you do things like that, you, you take a moment to help somebody, that's God's wisdom, That's the upside-down kingdom that you serve. If you want to write down 1 Samuel 2, verses 2 through 8 in Hannah's song and also in Mary's Magnificat in the book of Luke, they both celebrate God's love for the poor and how God has magnified the poor. And the rich are in contrast. The Lord makes the poor and rich. He brings low and He also exalts. He raises the poor from the dust, says Hannah. In her beautiful song, He lifts the needy from the ash heap. Now, verse 10, it, it's been debated. Some think verse 10 is about unbelieving wealthy people. Some believe it's about believing rich people. Um, the, the congregation could have had both, but let's let's take a look at verse 10. It says, And let the rich man glory in his humiliation. Let him glory that God has humbled him because like flowering grass, he will pass away. Now, the rich man's tendency would be to depend on his wealth because he has everything he needs. Remember the the rich young ruler who came to Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Good teacher. And in the dialogue, Jesus says, go and sell everything that you have. Give it to the poor. Come and follow me and you'll have treasures in heaven. Do you remember what the rich young ruler did? His face fell and he walked away sorrowfully because he had many possessions. And then Jesus said, how difficult it is for what? A rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now, my wife sews and she's a wonderful artist and she can sew and she does incredible things. And she has great patience with little things. Have you ever, any of you tried to thread a needle with, with just, it's, I, I'm not good at it. I confess it. I don't have the patience. And usually I start to get the shakes when I'm, I don't know why, but I'm trying to get that. Can you imagine trying to stuff a camel through the eye of a needle? That, that sounds pretty hard. And by the way, I don't even want to touch a camel, let alone try to push them through the eye of a needle, right? They'll spit at you. They're not clean animals. Anyway. Anyway. And then the disciples said, because they had a view on wealth, that the wealthy were blessed by God, who then can be saved? Hey, listening family. If you're new to Walk in Truth, my name is Michael Lance. I'm the senior pastor of Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona in Southern California. Hey, recently I've written a book called Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God. It shows you how to put on what God has provided so that you can stand strong in the spiritual battle and Stand Strong Against Temptation with the resources that God provides. This book is available at the store at walkintruth.com. Go to walkintruth.com, click on the store, click on the book. I'll get you a signed copy, and your donation will help support Walk in Truth and help us reach out to more people. Again, the book is Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God, available at walkintruth.com. That's Walk in Truth. Some of you have adopted children, and you do things like that. You you take a moment to help somebody. That's God's wisdom. That's the upside-down kingdom that you serve. If you want to write down 1 Samuel 2, verses 2 through 8 in Hannah's song, and also in Mary's Magnificat in the book of Luke, they both celebrate God's love for the poor. And how God has magnified the poor. And the rich are in contrast. The Lord makes the poor and rich. He brings low and he also exalts. He raises the poor from the dust, says Hannah. In her beautiful song, he lifts the needy from the ash heap. Now, verse 10, it's been debated. Some think verse 10 is about unbelieving wealthy people. Some believe it's about believing rich people. Um, the, The congregation could have had both, but... Let's let's take a look at verse 10. It says, And let the rich man glory in his humiliation. Let him glory that God has humbled him because like flowering grass, he will pass away. Now, the rich man's tendency would be to depend on his wealth because he has everything he needs. Remember the the rich young ruler who came to Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Good teacher. And And the dialogue. Jesus says, go and sell everything that you have. Give it to the poor. Come and follow me and you'll have treasures in heaven. Do you remember what the rich young ruler did? His face fell and he walked away sorrowfully because he had many possessions. And then Jesus said, how difficult it is for what? A rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now, my wife, Sews and she's a wonderful artist, and she can sew, and she does incredible things, and she has great patience with little things. Have you ever, any of you tried to thread a needle with, with just, it's like, I'm not good at it. I confess it. I don't have the patience, and usually if, I start to get the shakes when I'm, I don't know why, but I'm trying to get that. Can you imagine trying to stuff a camel through the eye of a needle? That, that sounds pretty hard. And by the way, I don't even want to touch a camel, let alone try to push them through the eye of a needle. Right? They'll spit at you. They're not clean animals. Anyway. And then the disciples said, because they had a view on wealth, that the wealthy were blessed by God, who then can be saved? And Jesus said, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. I have... uh, over the years, I've had some people who were successful and then they, they hit some rough times. They were wealthy, well-to-do, and then something happened and they lost some of their worldly wealth. And they would honestly tell you, I think if they were up here, that God did a work during that season that they, they couldn't see. Now, these would, these would be, this category I'm talking about would be a follower of Christ who's very wealthy and then maybe lost some of that or something happened. And they were in a unique position to take a look at what they were really trusting in. The wealthy man, if he's humbled by God, if she's humbled by God, a wealthy woman has a unique opportunity to glory in that humbling. And sometimes that's what God does. One by one, says one writer, God took them from me, all things I valued most. Till I was empty-handed, every glittering toy was lost. And I walked earth's highway grieving in my rags and poverty until I heard his voice inviting, lift those empty hands to me. And I turned my hands toward heaven and he filled them with a store of his own transcendent riches till they could contain no more. And at last I comprehended with my stupid mind and dull that God could not pour his riches into hands already full. Now, I think that it's not the riches that are the issue. It's whether the riches have you. Jesus said, you cannot serve God and money or mammon. If you have those things in order and you're well to do, praise God. That's what we need to do, be doing. We need to be ready to share. First Timothy six seventeen through 19, write it down for your notes. It says, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them, the wealthy, to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. James talked about a crown of life and Paul tells Timothy that the wealthy in the congregation, they're blessed, but let them be ready to share. Imagine if you are part of a diaspora, you disperse from, let's say, Jerusalem uh, in the uh, middle of the first century and you're going out and you have all these poor brothers and sisters with you and you have money and they don't. And imagine that, Their lives are now falling apart. Daily food is difficult, and you're a wealthy person still in that midst. Imagine the challenge that you would have to give away what you have instead of being selfish. Tough, isn't it? Because money is not the problem, money is not the root of all evil. It's what? The love of money. And I think that this early congregation was struggling with their identity in Christ. And hey, if I'm really serious about my faith, then my hands will be open to the Lord to let him put in and take out as he would will. As Moses put it in Psalm 90, the days of our life contain 70 years or of due strength 80 years, yet their pride is but labor and sorrow. And for soon it is gone and we fly away. And so teach us, Earlier in the psalm, Psalm 90, teach us to number our days that we may present to you, Lord, a heart of wisdom. You are not going to take it with you. You're not. Some of you think you are. Just that one little thing. I'll I'll tell them to put it in my pocket, in my casket. It ain't going with you. Whatever you have now, you are going to leave here. And then you don't know what the next generation is going to do with it. So be wise. The Bible does encourage the plan for the future to save money, to take care of your family, no doubt. But don't put so much stock in that which is not going to last. This stuff, according to 2 Peter, is all going to burn. And there will be new heavens and a new earth. And the Bible says you can take that to the bank. For the sun, verse 11, James 1, rises with a scorching wind in the, in Jerusalem or in Israel, this was called a shirako, a scorching hot wind, and it withers the grass, its flower falls off, the beauty of its appearance is destroyed, so too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Uh, we found out that a neighbor who's lived behind us for the last 22 years just recently passed away. And we didn't even know until we saw a sign for an estate sale. And then we got word that the owner of the house that lived right behind us, we, we had a relationship with them through Little League, um, he's gone. Um, the Bible says in the midst of one's pursuits, people just die. A lot of people don't plan you know, a car accident or a heart attack. Sometimes just in the midst of doing stuff, people die. A deathbed experience is not a guarantee. And James paints this picture of the Scirocco. We would say the Santa Anas. How many of you don't like the Santa Ana winds? Man, they're they're a bummer because it gets hot and then the wind blows. And I've got some, uh, we've, we've got some flowers in our home that um, they bloom when the sun's out and then they bow when the sun's not doing well. And I have had the practice because my beautiful wife deserves flowers. And I, I'm going to say it, her nickname for me is roses. (laughs) Because she's like a beautiful rose. So I regularly get her roses. Well, those roses inevitably, we put them in a vase and they start drooping. Right? And then I have to replenish the roses. Can I give you guys, gentlemen, tune in for a second? Can I give you a word of wisdom? Buy your wife flowers. Even if she is super practical and she knows they're only going to last a week and a half or two, still buy them. She does like it. That's just a free piece of advice. It wasn't even in my notes. Just for you guys, all right? Life is this way. You know, we, we hear of this blight of cancer. Cancer, cancer, cancer. And we're we're like, what is going on with cancer? I I don't know. But in the midst of one's pursuits and somebody could have a a plan, I'm gonna gonna work this career, I'm gonna do this, I'll retire in, in this area. Hey, look, life doesn't guarantee you that. If you get that, thank God. But you don't have that guarantee. And so James says, look, the sun rises and the Chiraco, the Santa Ana's come. And he's quoting from Isaiah 40, verses six through eight, a voice calls out. If you want to write this down, Isaiah 46 through eight, a voice calls out. Then he answered, what shall I call out? All flesh is grass. All its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows upon it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord, what does it do? It stands forever. This life is temporary. And James is trying to encourage a group of downcast believers to hang in there because the eternal kingdom is what's really going to last. And so he's trying to give them what we might consider. Uh, what we would call biblical wisdom, Jesus told a story about being beware of every form of greed, and then he told about a landowner who stuff was very productive, and he said to himself, "I'm going to build bigger things, and I'll do this and that." And then the word comes back from God that tonight your soul will be required of you. I I did two memorial services in the last couple of days. One thing I didn't anticipate going into the ministry is how much I would have to deal with the death issue, to walk families through it, to address crowds at memorial services, a mixed multitude. I often don't know who's a believer and who's not. Sometimes when I'm quoting scripture, I can tell the believers because they smile and they're quoting the scripture with me. I did a memorial service a few days back, and every verse I quoted, I saw a lady who locked eyes with me, and she was quoting the verses with me. I am the way, the truth. And her smile was getting bigger, and I was going, That's a sister in Christ. Thank you, Lord. There's always believers out there. But then there's others out there that are doing what we call the bulletin shuffle. (laughs) When's this thing going to be over? When's he going to be quiet? It's my unique opportunity to preach to unbelievers. And you know what I say to unbelievers? And it always shocks them. I say, you know, the statistics on death are quite impressive. (laughs) And then they start to laugh because they get where I'm going. One out of every one of you is going to die. (gasps) What's true, the statistics are impressive. I mean, right? Unless you're here when the Lord returns. You're going to face your own mortality and the only question that's going to matter on that day is do you know the Lord because one day the the flower will droop as strong as we can be in life. We're not made to last because of the curse. John Wesley said, I'm a creature of, of a day passing through life as an arrow through the air. I'm a spirit coming from God and returning to God just hovering over the great gulf a few months hence and I am no more seen. I drop into an unchangeable eternity. I want to know one thing, says Wesley. I want to know the way to heaven." How many people play Russian roulette with their soul? Why would you do that? The most valuable thing you have is your soul. Why would you, even if you gained the whole world, why would you forfeit your soul? That's just silly. Hey, listening family, if you're new to Walk in Truth, my name is Michael Lance. I'm the senior pastor of Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona in Southern California. Hey, recently I've written a book called Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God. It shows you how to put on what God has provided so that you can stand strong in the spiritual battle and stand strong against temptation with the resources that God provides. This book is available at the store at walkintruth.com. Go to walkintruth.com, click on the store, click on the book. I'll get you a signed copy and your donation will help support Walk in Truth and help us reach out to more people. Again, the book is Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God, available at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.